Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show. From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody. We are just a couple of short weeks away from launching the 2020 Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. With us today are the co-directors of the hypnotic short film, La Flaca, Adriana Barbosa and Tiago Zanato. Thank you both for being here. All right. Thank you for having us. Thanks, thanks. Great to be here. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about La Flaca. Okay. Well, this short film, it began a few years ago. And we were doing a research about themes regarding freedom of worship and faithless resistance in Mexico, basically. And since I'm Mexican, for me, it's really common or natural scene to see, you know, our culture related to death and how death is part of our culture. But I guess it was curious when Tiago, who is a Brazilian, came to Mexico and was doing a research with me, he got really hypnotic by the image of the skeleton saint, which is the Santa Muerte. Mm-hmm. And I think it, uh, the interest began from there. And then he went back to New York. And I think you can talk out a little bit about that. How that yeah, so I was f- fascinated by the image of the, of the Santa Muerte because it's, you know, it's a skeleton and a religious figure at the same time, and I had not seen it before. I was, I think, inspired by Adriana's research, too, you know, about the Mexican uh, cults. And I've been meaning to do a film that talks about immigration and other issues, like social issues. And when I looked into it, the, the figure of the Santa Muerte, it's really strongly related to those themes. Right. Basically, you know, it welcomes everyone, regardless of their sex, their gender, their, you know, their orientation their age or anything like because it's death it accepts everyone it has to it has no option and so it's it's basically a religion that you know for marginalized people that really attracted me because it was the perfect leeway into you know speaking about these themes so when i was back in new york i did some research and then just wanted to see if there was any temples or shrines you know associated with the santa muerte and i found areli which is the main character of our film which is a transgender woman and an immigrant and the leader of the cult of the Santa Muerte cult in Queens, New York. So she's very well known there. And I just reached out to her and she was nice. You know, she was hesitant in the beginning a little bit because of everything. You know, I don't think it's easy to be like a transgender immigrant in the U.S. And I'm like a foreign figure to her because I'm not Mexican. I don't speak Spanish very well. But it was a good conversation. You know, nowadays we're good friends. We love seeing her and we go to her parties and all that. So we started this relationship and now. And then, you know, everything she, she means and she represents is really important to me. And that's why we wanted to make the film. So that's how it started. Mm-hmm. I think you had a, like the, from the beginning had a really a good connection. She was really open to tell her story to us at the moment. I mean, she started with Tiago because I was living in Brazil back then. But then I, I went to, to New York to, to work on this film with Tiago. And I think it was a really good connection because I was Mexican as well. So it, it was easier then to, for her to be, you know, trusting and to understand what we were wanting to tell, you know, with her. Because she, she was part of the project since the beginning. 
I mean, she read the script from the beginning also. So it was something that I was really open with her during the whole time. Nintago was also like part of the rosaries in her house, like a long time before we actually went and talked to her about the script. Yeah, you guys had to kind of develop a relationship first. Yes, yes. In order to be able to get that close, that had to happen before, of course. Yeah, I think I went there for like four or five months every month at least. Oh, wow. And wow. so, we got, so we'd get used to having a camera. So I always had a camera with me, even if I wasn't shooting anything. And they got used to it and I got to know each one of them. And most of the people that are in the film, we met them beforehand, you know, for like a few months before the film. And they were used to us filming mm-hmm. there. And then he learned to speak Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) But then this this whole interest, more to like explain how how we got in touch with her and how we got in touch with that community. So when we got in touch with them and got into her story, we were so amazed by it. And I think La Flaca, it's like a homage of this character and this untold stories, you know, because she is like an untold character that we think it's really important to portray. Mm-hmm. And then it became really clear that we also wanted to portray this specific cult that people call it like a cult. But when you hear about Santa Muerte, you, you're always relate to it, like to drug dealers, to something like that and evilish. Specifically in the big media, you always see that, that kind of portrait. So we were really interested in making a different kind of portrait to show what this actually, what it means, you know, to a lot of people, to a lot of families, to the community, especially the Latino community here in the U.S. as well. And it's big. I mean, we think it's something that it's like clandestine or something, but it's big. It's really popular and it's really getting bigger each each year, I guess. Yeah, you would imagine that it would be getting bigger because there are more and more people are coming out of the closet or feeling like they don't belong, you know, in the traditional Catholic sensibilities, especially in Mexico. You can see why it's growing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's weird because the, not weird, but curious that the rituals, you know, the masses and all that, it's all based on Catholic masses and rites and all that. So they, they pray the prayers are the same pretty much. They just switch a couple of words. Yeah. And, you know, so it changes who they're praying to, but the basis of it, it's Catholic. I think it speaks to the European influence in Hispanic cultures. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very interesting, you know, because it's a form of syncretism that, that they had to do in order to worship something, you know, because they, they wanted to. Yeah. Able to have yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to watch in your film, you know, the masses and and the parties and everything. And I really wanted to see more of it <laughs> when it was over. I was like, ah, make a feature. But your guys' creative decision to tell the story through kind of docu-fiction is really brilliant. How early on in your guys' writing process or, you know, development process? How early on did you settle on that choice? I think, you know, we had a, she, she throws this party every year in August, September, and we've been hanging out a couple of months prior to that. So we knew that this party was coming up and we didn't have a budget, you know, we didn't go, we didn't get a grant or anything. So we funded the project. So basically her party is like an expensive party <laughs> she throws. Right. It's big, you know, and then there's all this like decoration and there are each year is a different theme. There's like hundreds of people that come. So that's a perfect setting for a film. And, you know, we talked to her about how if we could film during that day, you know, from beginning to end, like the preparation from the preparations early in the morning until the very end of the night. And she said, yeah, it will, it'll be crazy because I got super busy even a couple of weeks before the party. But I think it was great because you get to see how they really live and how their devotion works for them, how it's important. 
and the size of the community, especially, you know, because it's not just about her in the end. I think it's about the community and it's hard to gather everyone, you know, and get a sense of how many people are involved in this. That was like, I don't know if I would call it a creative decision, but it's like, it's almost necessity, you know, we have to be, <laughs> right. it's a good opportunity. And the creative part, I think it's, you know, when we decided to have actors involved to try to tell a, a side of the story that told us about the threats that she receives, all the struggles that she goes through. Mm-hmm. So we call this character, you know, that, that's in the film. She's actually from Spain. Her name is Queen Navarro. And it was great. You know, I think they gel really well. And you don't notice she's an actress in the film. That's why I think the film is like a docufiction because it's confusing. You know, it feels like a documentary all the time, but then there's these surrealistic scenes in the middle of it. And then there's these people the scenes, you know, that are kind of built, you know, they're almost artificial, but everything is real at the same time. Because we didn't, we didn't have like an art director, you know, like moving things around on set. That was her house. Those people were there. Yeah. Yeah, Super small crew. So we wanted to have that feeling. So. Yeah. I think, I think the fiction part of it, uh, I mean, we haven't really very clear how we're going to be able to shoot it because it was supposed to be happening through the celebration and her preparations of it. So we have to follow her flow, right? Like what whatever happened between the community that was happening at the time. But I think the fictional plot or, or the scenes that we put in, it was a, a way to be able to tell the complexity of this character and how that really affected her. So we couldn't tell that just by asking her or just by, you know, like sitting her on a couch and, like, you know, letting her explain it to us. We thought it would be loyal to her story to show it that way. Yeah, it works well. It works really well yeah thanks uh yeah one of the things i always say is that her reality is so different from ours it's hard to for people that never heard of santa muerte even americans that are not familiar with it or people from other parts of the world it's it's kind of hard to just do like a straight up documentary about it i think there's a philosopher that says this and i totally agree that you need a fiction to regulate reality in order to understand it Mm -hmm. And that's why we felt the need for like some fictional parts, you know, to kind of tell the breadth of her faith and, you know, everything she goes through and how she thinks. And it's still, I think it doesn't do justice to her universe 100%, but it's an interesting portrait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It gives the audience a sense of, you know, the sacrifice that she has to make, you know, for this thing that she cares so deeply about and is so emotionally invested in. It's really powerful to watch. I'm glad you get the film, you know, what we intended, because some people just don't. They're like, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't so think did you, they think it's all, everything is it's a fiction, you know, or like, mm-hmm. it's like she's an actress. So people think that there were no actors involved in, you know, everything that happens was, it, it's yeah, very it's confusing to some people. Well. But you know what? I, I think that's. I think that that was something actually nice to 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 see because it, it did happen. I mean, reality and fiction did got confused during our process as well. I mean, we had this fictional scene that we wanted that we was supposed to happen, but then things happened at the same time that it, that were real, and we had to postpone the filming. So she did have a threat during that party, and we actually used voice recording we had with her afterwards, like a year after, for her to tell us what happened. So when you hear her while she's doing her makeup, that she's expressing how she feels, yeah. that's actually just a conversation we had with her afterwards, you know, that she really felt that way. So that wasn't scripted, for instance. That's how she really felt. So I think it, the film happened that way and we just went through it, you know? We let fiction and reality get mixed. Yeah, that's what I love so much about your film and what keeps drawing me back to it is just you the perfect blend of 
you know, neorealism. The first time I watched it, I thought it was a documentary up until you guys started doing some you know, very surreal stuff. And I was like, oh my God. And it kind of <laughs> like, I like stood up and applauded. I was like, God damn, they got me. Like, I really, it's, it's very admirable what you guys were able to do and piece together and hearing the behind the scenes of how it all happened is just really fun. <laughs> One of my other favorite things about it is, you know, kind of the thematic balance of life and death, as you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, Arales, you know, kind of filled with life and she's bringing voice to these people, doing her musical numbers, but then you literally have death hanging over her shoulder and and on her back even. <laughs> it's a complex thing to dissect as a viewer, but I was wondering if you can kind of touch on that theme. Was it something that you just, you know, as you started working with her, kind of happened organically? Or was it something that you guys were really trying to hit home in the edit? I think it was both. For us, it's really fascinating because it does have this dialectical relationship, you know, about this contrast and contradictions of this religious movement as well. Because when you get to see that it's a skeleton scene that represents death, but at the same time, it's it's what they're most devoted to in life. You get to understand some things are part of their culture, you know, of the Mexican culture. I mean, you know, prehistory teaches that before our, I mean, our ancestors, they praised death figures, you know, and it's something that is part of our imaginary already. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, when you when you go to these parties, when you go to this community, they do have a lot of, you know, skeleton saints all over their house. And you see kids with the skeleton saints, you know, in necklaces. So it's an imaginary that you already deconstruct, you know, about fearing death and fearing what death represents. But at the same time, that's the thing. I mean, the Santa Muerte cult, they represent that in order to have a good life, you have to be devoted to death, you know, something like that. So those are the contrasts that we see in this movement. And when we thought about portraying that in the film, I think the intention was also to try to deconstruct this image, you know, of the fear of this skeleton, the fear of that this might represent death, because when you get to see this character and how she, she's so, you know, devoted to this figure and so devoted to the community as well, I think you have another image at the end. Right. 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 And I think that was our purpose because we're really interested in discussing these things. I mean, we see how the Catholic Church is, you know, has this hegemonic power over a lot of other movements. And we thought it was really interesting to show that these people, they are critical. They, they do know why they're devoted to the Santa Muerte. They do know why they're not part of the church anymore. You know, most of them, they were all Catholic and they migrated. And that migration, as you mentioned, I mean, it happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. That had to be related to the image as well, how to reconstruct this fearless image of the skeleton. And I think it's also a people that had to learn how to deal with death because of all the violence for over 500 years. They incorporated death and violence in a way to their culture, Mm -hmm. and they're not afraid of it. Even like in these communities, Latino communities, even to be in the U.S., they have to face death, you know, the the, the threat. Constantly, yeah. A lot of people are illegal too, so they, you know, like crossing borders and all that. So the Latino communities are, it's not a taboo, you know, they for them as it is for Catholics. And, and I was raised Catholic and I was personally surprised with like how these people were able to incorporate, you know, these threats to their lifestyle, to their choices and make something good out of it. And then they throw a party, which is a very Mexican thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you have this party with them all dressed up and you, you have these shows, you know, so they sing to the Santa Muerte and they 
dedicate this love yeah, song. He's very Mexican American. <laughs> very Mexican. I love it. Honestly, I could talk about this movie for another two hours, <laughs> but I fear that if I do, I'm going to give away some big spoilers. And I really want the audience to enjoy this incredible film for themselves. So tell the audience, Adriana and Tiago, where uh, where they can find you, where they can follow you. Oh, so we, we have a page, a Facebook page and an Instagram page. It's called La Flaca Movie. So if you put that, you, you'll be able to find it. There's also a website, laflaca.com. La Flaca Film. La Flaca Film, sorry. Laflacafilm.com. And I think you can find it over there. We do have some screenings, online screenings happening, but we're glad that, you know, in this, with your festival, we'll be able to to have the film available for a time that people can can check it out. We're really proud of this. We're really proud to share this, you know, unconventional portrait of this community and this character. And we look forward to, to see what people think about it. Yes, absolutely. La Flaca will be a part of the Mother Nature block available at LADFF.com starting August 4th. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Adriana and Tiago are going to help us out with our favorite segment, Gimme Three. The Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival will be available to a worldwide audience this year. Due to the global pandemic, our annual in-person event is postponed but you can still view our incredible program online. From August 4th through August 31st, visit LADFF.com to rent our curated film blocks, or you can buy a VIP pass, which gives you access to our entire program for the month. We have over 50 films from 17 different countries, comedy, thriller, drama, musicals, docs. We've got something for everybody. So check out the seventh annual Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival, starting August 4th, exclusively at LADFF.com. We are back here on Film Forward. We are talking with Adriana and Tiago. They are the directors of the LADFF-selected short film, La Flaca. They are going to give us three films that have inspired them, inspired their work, all right, let's get your first one, my friends. So the first one, it's a feature documentary called Cabra Marcado para Morrer. In English, is A Man Marked for Death by Eduardo Cochino. It's a Brazilian mm-hmm. film. Uh, the second one is La Jaula de Oro, The Golden Dream, mm-hmm. which is awesome from Diego Quemada Diaz. I love that film. I really, I really love that film. Mm-hmm. We love it. And the third one is The Secret of the Grain by Abdelatif Keshish which we also adore. Absolutely. Let's talk about your first one real quick. Yes. Well, this, well, for any documentary filmmaker in Brazil, Eduardo Cochino, it's a name that we always have in our background since the beginning. And this film is something that it's, it's really uh, an amazing kind of reference because it's a film that represents, you know, dealing with the past uh, and dealing with what is doing a film, you know, when you're dealing mm-hmm. with real people and a real political situation. So basically it's, it's about, this director, Eduardo Cochino, who wants to make a film about this uh, land worker activist and his family, and then he's killed. So he tries to make kind of like a fiction of this film, but then there's a coup going on in Brazil. So his film gets shut down. And after 17 years, he goes back and tries to, to tell the story about why, why this happened. You know, where are these characters? Where are these people? And the film just becomes like huge and, so it's, it's him dealing with the past and, you know, 
it's a film about making a film. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, it's really breathtaking and inspiring to watch as a filmmaker. And you just see all the shit that he goes through and he will never quit, you know, in telling this story. It fills my heart just to see the passion that that he has. It's it's an incredible, incredible documentary if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I think you said a, a perfect word, passion, because I think it represents for us, you know, the mission of doing a film like this, you know, embracing the power of documenting a life and documenting history and the truth. Mm. And there's something different about, you know, like doing it, documenting truth, documenting life, as you guys talked about. It's just, it, it takes more patience and it requires more of you to submit yourself to it. Like you guys were talking about, like you spent months and months with Adele just for her to be able to start to trust you guys so you guys can make this film, especially American filmmakers. If they're trying to make a narrative, they're like, all right, let's do it. Let's get it. You know, let's do it now. You know, there's no patience and care taken into it. And this film's definitely a lesson in that. Yes, for sure. Sacrifice. And it's a, like a responsibility for you to have a camera in your hand. So mm-hmm. I think it also leads with that. And it's a film that it's cut in half by the military dictatorship in Brazil. Oh, wow. <laughs> in 64, yeah, it started. So I think he stopped shooting right on 63. Yeah. And then he picked it up at the end of the, the, the when, you know, the, the laws were like loosened up a little bit. So like two, three years before the end of the dictatorship, because it was important to make the film at that point too. Yeah. So there's like a lot of the film within a film, but yeah, there's also the political and social historical context of Brazil that's in the film. Excellent, excellent first choice. Let's talk about The Golden Dream. Yeah, The Golden Dream is it's a hybrid film. That's the way I see it, at least. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it when I watched it, how they made it. It was very fascinating. You know, I watched it right at the time I was making La Flaca with Adriana. And it was an inspiration. I think it still is, you know, and how, how to tell a story, you know, surrounded by real people, but have like a fictional component that kind of tells a bigger picture you know what these people go through but it's not like it's not a film about crossing it's also a film about what happens when you get here yeah and that that's what it is about actually and that's what it's called the golden the crossing dream. the border yeah it's fascinating to me how they made it. i still don't know it i, I have never I, I was never able to find a q a or anything but the way they work with the characters you know they're not they're non-actors too and i think it's crazy how he pulled that off and it's it's such a portrait of, of violence and and suffering but at the same time you it keeps you wondering, you know, it's something that we always wonder and try to understand how this films portray this thing that is at what cost, you know, what cost this journey takes these people. And when they get over, it's like, you know, it's still a prison. I think that's the name of the film. The Golden Dream is in Spanish. It's I think it's more accurate, which is like the golden cage. Yeah. So I, that's a thing that we we were always so when I saw the film, I, it was really it's hurtful. You know, it was really powerful for you to question yourself about this, you know, there's people like crossing the border and people do not, do not understand that it's not just because they want to leave their country, it's something else. But at the same time, it's a film about freedom, you know, freedom of will, freedom of being alive, you know. <laughs> For us, it's a reference of how a film can touch you, even being so violent and so strong, you know, so. And I think it has so, the has the structure of a tragedy, mm-hmm. which is very interesting to me because it's, it's updating that those myths, you know, those Greek myths that we know so well, that's why we can relate to it so easily. But I think we need to update those myths. You know, that that's why we're also like make the films we're making. You know, what, what they did is tell that story in the context of what's going on right now in, in the Americas. You know, that's really important. I think it's a very underrated film. I don't know how 
you know, you don't see lots of people talking about it. I don't know if it had a theatrical release here. I think it had a very small release. It had a very small release. I looked it up. It didn't get the love that it should have in the States. I guess that's not surprising. <laughs> it is a visceral and beautiful and heartbreaking story. There's one shot in particular kind of towards the end, you know, like you, like you said, the golden cage where he's looking in and he's, you know, he sees the power plant with the American flag on it and it's like th- shot through a barbed wire oh fence and it's, that shot knocks you out. No, that scene, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't usually cry in films, but that one just stuck me over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, was, she wasn't <laughs> feeling good very well for like a couple <laughs> I got stuck. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Second choice. So now your third and final, my friends. Yeah, the third is The Secret of the Grain, which is a reference of so many things. But curiously, it was a reference inclusive actually for La Flaca. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I like about it that we try to incorporate into La Flaca. And that was the main film that I shared with the director of photography as well, because it had a relationship with food. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, there's some scenes that knowing his process, the Kashish's process, the way he rehearses those the scenes like over and over and over, and then when it comes down to shooting them, they just shoot it like without almost any effort. It's effortless shooting because they rehearse so much. We did the opposite. We didn't rehearse at all. Like, <laughs> but I kind of wanted to have that feeling of you know like a group of people that are together, like a small community, and it's like beyond the family, you know. And to me, that was a really good reference of that. But there's also the the story of these people that. They go through a lot, you know, then these are the good times they have when they're eating food. And I think that's very present in Latin culture. You know, like when you sit down and eat with the people you love and your friends, then, you know, everything kind of falls into place. And, you know, the other element is it's it's a foreign, it's a Tunisian man that, you know, struggling to set up his restaurant. He's like navigating the bureaucracy of friends and they're, they're working towards a party in the end, just like our film, the La Flaca film. Right. And it, it kind of goes wrong. It's a tragedy as well. And so it was a huge inspiration. You know, it had some elements that made it look like it's it's a documentary more than a fiction too. Yeah. But at some points, it's just yeah, totally in the fiction. There's like this really beautiful like, shots, you know, very very complex walking. And it's a very nice mixture. You know, I don't think he, he made other films like that after this one. Yeah, and he deals with themes that, uh, you know, immigration, being able to, you know, tone your place, the bureaucracy of things happening. And there's the scenes with the family, you know, that he shot almost like a documentary scene. That's true. So we thought it was amazing how he did that. But it also had like these characters, specific characters and how they deal with each other. And, you know, the family, the community power of it. And at the end, you know, you see this, it's a tragic ending, but it deals with the nostalgic feeling at the same time, the tragic. So you have that mixture of both during the, towards the end of the film. So I think that's something that is actually unique when we saw the film as well. Those contrasts, I think, of narratives that we were interested in watching and working with. Absolutely. Three really amazing choices. If you guys have not seen them, check them out. We'll put links when we upload this podcast. Really love talking to you guys. I can do it much longer, but we, we got to go. I hope you guys will come back on the podcast sometime in the future. Congratulations on a great film, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nicole. It was great talking to you, and we're excited for Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Yes. La Flaca will be available at LADFF.com starting August 4th. You do not want to miss it. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. 
Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.